That's the thing to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Which has has driven me in a few decisions in my life, I will tell you, to go, why are you really doing this? Why are you really an actor? And if you're not having fun, maybe you should do something else for a while. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 220, we have part one of AJ's chat with Ellen Crawford, a very accomplished actress, probably best known for her many seasons on the global hit TV show, ER. In part one, we hear all about the fortuitous beginnings of Ellen's career as well as her thoughts on choosing a job and the importance that she places on learning from her fellow artists. Got to love that. That and a few kick-ass listener questions all coming your way in episode 220. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro. Yes, siree, Pro. It's the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors, and it's coming in just a few short months. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more because there's new features in the new version, then go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features coming in the next version of Rehearsal Pro, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. Reserve your soon-to-be-released copy of Rehearsal Pro right now at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, AJ? Kevinator. What's new in your world, man? Uh, so I, I want to talk about two things. Um, one is as a piece of news for the podcast, and one is um, a personal uh, win, which is uh, uh, my New York agents actually pitched me for and got me an audition for a guest star on um, the TV show Grimm. Yeah, um, which I, I watched a couple of episodes to um, prepare for the audition. It was it was it's a fun show. I feel like it's the poor man's uh, Battlestar Galactica. You, instead, of, <laughs> instead of the Cylons, you have the Vessen, and um, awesome. it takes place in Portland instead of space. So your your New York agents got you that audition out here in LA. Yeah, and I actually got a text message from them around six thirty p.m. Pacific. I was like, what are you doing? It's 9.30 there. What are you doing? And uh, <clears throat> he was like, always pitching, man. Always pitching. Like, <laughs> Good agents never sleep. Anyway, but the audition itself was, well, first of all, I took mass transit there, which was its own interesting experiment. Uh, took about twice as long. So it took like, you know, a couple of hours, but is what it is. It was interesting. I've been taking the train a lot in, in LA and it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll say that the audition itself went really, really well. And I posted on, I know a lot of our listeners saw this cause I posted online, but I just committed to being as authentic as possible 
meaning I wasn't going to like put on anything for this character. I wasn't going to try, you know, like push at all. And unfortunately, this office, they, they, they should do something about this, but this office is um, designed in such a way where if you're wait, unless you're outside the building, you hear everyone's audition before. Oh, you. no, it's the worst sitting in that room and listening to <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody going and read. Other person. So I went outside a lot, um, but I caught snippets of other people's auditions and, and their choices. And I heard a lot of redirection coming from the two casting directors inside the room. And I was like happy with myself. So I'm like, oh, I, yeah, they're, they're not going to have to give me that direction because I've kind of already made that choice. Did you hear the same redirection over and over for, for, the, uh, for different actors? Similar, yes. The, I don't want to give anything away because uh, I don't know if you'd have to like sign an NDA if you booked it or whatever. But basically it was a bodyguard. And a lot of people were going in with this sort of like militaristic idea of a bodyguard. And that, I, that was my interpretation. I was like, he's just a dude. You know, he actually likes the guy that he works for. And so, uh, so I was like, I'm just going to be myself. And they spent a lot, they were running way behind. They were spending a lot of time redirecting actor, 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 actor. And I went in and I asked one question. I did the scene and they were like, that was great. Let's do the second one. (laughs) And then I did the second one and they were like, that was awesome. Thank you so much. And it was genuine. It wasn't like, oh, God, let's just get him out of here. It was like, it was genuinely like, wow, we don't have to spend all that time. And, and the other reason I know that it was genuine is because the people who, the producers, the show, the show shot in Portland and the, all the producers and stuff are up there. So they book everything off of tape. So the casting directors want to make sure that the take that you put on tape is good, that they're going to send to them. I think that's why they do a lot of redirection because they're going to take this this take or this tape and send it up. Basically, what they were saying to me is that was good enough or great enough to send to our producers. Right. That's the affirmation. And so I was like, oh, okay, great. Have a good session. Like, it was awesome. And I felt really good about it. So, oh, dude, uh, that's so awesome. Haven't heard anything yet, but, it, you know, I, I'm just going to you know chalk it up to booking the office yeah book the office exactly kick ass man and how cool that that was your new york agent getting you work in la or you know submitting you for work in la yeah i was uh was stoked i was that's uh, the first time that's happened since the couple of weeks since we got here This episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. We have time for one listener question here before we roll into our interview with Ellen. 
<clears throat> your interview with Ellen, AJ. Mm. Uh, and I we, we thought we'd respond to Sam's question. Sam wrote us a little while ago and said that he's uh, he's he's a young he's a young lad. He's sixteen years old and he's looking into drama colleges over in the United Kingdom. And he says they do things a little bit differently in the UK. Uh, they start college at sixteen and then go on to university at eighteen, which is interesting because here in the US, college and in university are kind of the same thing synonymous yeah Yeah. uh he says anyway the college he's at right now gives out a really impressive qualification in acting but the 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 facilities and stuff that they have uh or that they have and that they learn there and whatnot isn't the greatest so so the the name on the certificate is impressive but everything else is kind of just ho-hum is kind of the the vibe i'm getting there then he says, on the other hand, neighboring colleges have much better facilities as, as well as higher approval ratings, but they don't offer as impressive a qualification. So what I'm gleaning from that is that the, they've got better resources, higher approval ratings. I'm not sure what that, like, what, if that means like in trade journals and whatnot, they're just sort of known to be a, a more... They have better Yelp reviews. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, but they don't offer, but, but the name isn't as impressive. It's not like an NYU or a Carnegie Mellon or... A, something like that so he says what do you think is more important the name or the resources uh the skills he acquires at the latter college the one with the lesser name but better resources could help him in the audition phases of getting into drama schools but the college he's at now which is the one with the impressive name uh he says it may make him stand out more when they look at the his resume uh so what are our thoughts on this i well i don't know this is a this is a tough one because I get it. And I have had the name and the relationships and what I've learned at the school both support me, if that makes sense. So it's hard to know what I don't think there is such a thing as 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 more important necessarily. <clears throat> the thing I would want to ask is if he's taken the time to look up the faculty and sort of gauge the type of relationships he wants to create if that makes sense because we always talk about it being a relationship business and i can i can say that several of my relationships at ucla are what ended up leading to professional jobs post-graduation there's never a lack of importance to be placed on on that aspect what do you mean by the type of relationships he wants to create with faculty uh i uh maybe i misspoke what i mean is that the relationships, the, the the type of faculty, like, are they, in other words, are they mo- mostly focused on stage? Are they mostly focused on film and television? Are they mostly focused on comedy, drama, like w- figuring out as much as you can. So like one of the ways in quote unquote to stage work here in uh, LA for me was through uh, this one professor who focuses on ancient, ancient Greek uh, theater. And I ended up doing a bunch of that type of work as a result. And so, <clears throat> uh, so I guess that's what I'm saying is like, if they work, faculty and graduates are doing outside of school interests you, then maybe that's a, another way to, to look at it. Because the other two things, like the qualification or slash name versus the facilities, both of those are, I think, important to the learning process um i'm sort of trying to use something else to as a tiebreaker i guess hmm okay so what 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 was your you well, like yeah I, I i love i love what you just said because i didn't think that 
far ahead. I didn't think about the relationships. I, I love that um, you highlighted that as, as a factor. For me, um, I, I would say, like, I, I wouldn't even worry about, I mean, at least in LA, I wouldn't worry about, again, this is outside of relationships, I wouldn't worry about the name uh, on the resume of the school. And I can trace this all the way back to a conversation I had with one of my professors at my school. And I went to a small state school in, in Philadelphia called Westchester University of Pennsylvania, not known really for much of anything on, on the national scale, at least. I mean, they've got a great they've got a great couple programs that they're no, they're known sort of in the region for. But uh, it's not the kind of thing that it's not the kind of school you hear about, like, uh, you know, on a national scale or an international scale. Uh, and I was, I wanted to transfer to Tisch. I think I've told this story before on the podcast. I wanted to transfer yeah. to NYU and I sat down with my professor and I said, what's it going to take for me to transfer to NYU? He said, why do you want to go to NYU? And I said, because I want the name on the resume. I want, <clears throat> I want to, you know, stand out in the room. I want people to look at my resume and see that I went to this prestigious school. And he said, well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to NYU. Not all your credits are going to transfer. So it's going to set you back about a year. He said, you're going to be in classes with teaching assistants, not with actual professors, but mostly teaching assistants for the first two or three years that you're there. And you're not going to get into a main stage production in a leading role until you're probably your junior or senior year. He's like, and even then, you might even only do like one or two. The, the competition is so fierce. He said, here at Westchester, you're going to be on main stage productions like in a couple months at the very least. Uh, plus you're going to have, um, you know, full attention from our entire faculty, like right off the bat. So you're going to grow a lot faster here. He said, plus you're in state, you're not going to rack up all the debt that you would rack up with this, this out of state school. And, and he really made a case for me staying where I was. And I'm so glad I did because what I realized is when I got to LA, nobody cared where I went to school. All they cared about was the work I was doing in the room. If, if, they, if I went into the room and I had a really prestigious school on my, on my resume, but I had $100,000 in student debt and my audition sucked, they would just kind of shake their head. And, like, and it doesn't matter, and at least in, in LA, it doesn't matter where you went to school outside of the relationships that you have. I mean, that's a huge factor. Like I said, I hadn't thought of, but as far as like reputation goes, your reputation is the work that you do. And yeah. very few people care where you got that training unless they want to walk in your footsteps. So on that level, I would say go with the place with the resources, go with the place where you're going to get the best training that's going to support you in becoming the best possible, most authentic artist you can be. Like screw the, the name. Hmm. Um, that's, that's my reaction to it. And maybe they're, you know, maybe they're equal in terms of uh, technical you know, what you would learn technically, I think that's a great gauge is like, where do you think you're going to grow the most as an artist? You know, because we've had so many guests come on the podcast and say, you know, it's about the work. Go where you think the school is going to support you in being a better artist. Yeah. And I think that the relationships, I'm so glad you brought that up again, because I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, at UCLA, you had the advantage of having a lot of professors who were involved in the entertainment industry right off the bat. Um, which isn't always the case uh, at other places. So, so mm -hmm. taking that into account is huge because, you know, we'll go ahead and quote Brian Vermeer again, episode three, which you can now find in our iTunes feed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is a relationship business. It is, it is who you know, and it's uh, who knows you, and it's how generous are you being uh, every day in the industry? How much of yourself are you giving to make others' journeys 
better, more fruitful. That's what mm. it comes down to. And if, if there are uh, people that are connected and that are equally generous, then, then you've got a really great sort of person in your corner. And that person is you. So uh, I hope that helps, Sam. Uh, if, if, uh, I'd love to hear kind of how this has panned out. Sam wrote in with this question a few weeks ago or actually months ago. So I'd love to hear um, if there have been any developments. And uh, I also would love to hear, Sam, if there have not been developments yet, if this response uh, influences your choice in one direction or the other. Uh, thank you for writing in. That's about all the time we've got for yes, this part of the episode. Um, I'm excited to hear you talk to Ellen. In terms of acting lives, she's lived a charmed acting life. And so her her lessons, or the, the lessons rather, that you can glean from this one are more about, you know, what it's like to be a consistently working actor and the just the, the things that allow you to maintain a human existence in what is sometimes an inhuman lifestyle. Anyway, uh, enjoy this, guys, and, and we'll catch you on the other side. This is AJ, and I'm so excited to be sitting in the beautiful home, actually, of veteran actress Ellen Crawford. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. So, you folks may know Ellen from her work, well, she's probably best known for her work on the ridiculously amazing hit, uh, ER. I mean, how many years did that uh, show run? And you were on it for several of the of the years that it ran. I had the first line of the pilot, so no one was on it longer than I was. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then uh, John Wells, uh, uh, I was also in the uh, the finale, so I... They brought you back for the, for the well, finale. Well, I worked I saw that, most yeah. of those years. I yeah. had, took about five years to do other stuff, but then... It's very funny because when they wrote the when John Wells wrote the finale, he wrote this homage to the pilot with the first scene, but it was as if I wasn't gone for a few years. It's just like you happened to you kind of missed my shifts. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a great time on that show. I mean, it ran for fifteen years, so yeah. I worked about I'd say about ten of those, and then took a few years off to do other stuff, and then um, then came back for the finale and. And my husband played my boyfriend and my husband on the show, so yeah. we had fun. And, you know, it was... Such a cool story. I made friends that have been... Will be friends all my life, and in fact, in one case, like a sister to me, so... That's yeah. awesome. That's all. I remember being excited about that show because I was a big uh, Michael Crichton fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, I read all of his books, and I still read his books because I'll find stuff that either got published after he passed away or... or um, what have you? But I, I just remember being a, being really excited about the show and, and being a big fan at the time. So 
Pleasure to have you. And also you. you're friends with a podcast alum and good friend Kevin Murphy because you've done, uh, you know, a couple episodes of Desperate Housewives and there's all these awesome I got strangled pretty quick on the show, though. I had a recurring, <laughs> but, they, but they strangled me. But I was strangled by one of the most beautiful men in the world, so it was okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Not the worst thing in the world. Um, so we do like to start at the beginning talking about, you know, how people got their start, uh, how they were either how they were bitten by the bug or how they started professionally or what have you. Um, and I know that you, you know, went to school for it, went to Carnegie Mellon, but it, it all started, you know, much, much earlier than that for you. So, um, where, where do you see your, the, the sort of signposts in terms of, or the landmarks in terms of how you got to where you got. I think I was an odd child. <laughs> I say that because uh, even before I realized it, because I, I mean, my first memory of it was watching ballerinas on television and saying, Mommy, can I do that? So oh. she, so at three, I started dancing. Um, and then in fourth grade, I think I started taking these drama lessons. Uh, so funny to think about the little, you know, we would do little monologues and we would do, but we would do, do sort of sensory exercises, sense exercises as well. But uh, Aurelia McKay was my teacher's name, lovely lady, Northwestern grad. And so she was lovely. But I'm told by, I was told by a childhood friend a few years ago, she said, oh, I remember you used to make faces and go, okay, now I'm going to be sad. Now I'm going to be happy. I have no memory of that. <laughs> No memory of like making faces. It's like apparently. the kid in the mirror, right? The kid yeah. standing in front of their their mirror, or their hallway mirror. Well, that was a different thing. That was when I was in junior high, and you know, I don't know if everybody one is like this, but I hated my looks. I liked my hair, the color of my hair. That's about all I liked about myself. Um, but I remember I used to make this Queen Victoria face in the mirror, and then when I relaxed it, I'd say, "Oh, I don't look so bad." <laughs> so that's the only time I actually remember making faces in the mirror. But anyway. So th- that's lovely because I think, you know, I, th- I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a lot of us started out as just weird kids. Like That's <laughs> how we started out. I know I did. I mean, you know, we were all sort of hamming it up for family and friends and not even realizing, you know, that's when it was quote unquote fun, right? Not that yeah. it's not still fun, but we... But well, we, that's the thing to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Which has, has driven <clears throat> me in a few decisions in my life, I will tell you, to go, why are you really doing this? Why are you really an actor? And if you're not having fun, maybe you should do something else for a while. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. There, there's... Don't mean a different profession. I mean a different job. Yeah. Or friends of mine that would go to New York, say, and weren't hitting it, weren't having fun, and were totally miserable because they weren't doing what they loved. And I was like, well, there's regional theater across the country. Go go somewhere else and, and do what you love. And they go, oh, no, it's that uh, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere mm, sort of yeah. Liza Minnelli thing that they <laughs> were going for. But it's there's a point at which you have to say, I need to be doing what I love. Yeah. You know? There's there's this we've never really been able to figure out where where it's attributed to maybe you know uh, but there's this uh, list of, of four questions that we talk about on the podcast from time to time of uh, a, a way of supporting you in making a decision about whether or not you should take a job mm-hmm. and will it be fun is actually one of them so it's like uh, w- uh, will it be good for your career will it be good for your art meaning your your craft mm-hmm. as an actor will you make money and will it be fun. And it's something like if you can answer yes to at least two of the four, then then you should do it or consider it. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I wish we had been able to figure it out. We've Googled it and everything. So don't even bother, listeners. I'm kidding. No, there, uh, <laughs> there are times when you can get two of the four. And I'm glad you said consider it because I have been in situations where, uh, fairly recently, where a project was, I love the director. Uh, the role itself was good. Um, it would make me some money, uh, not fantastic money, but money. Um, but it just wasn't my cup of tea as a project. Mm. And, and I, I wrestled with that cause I, I, it would have been fun to do in many ways. And, um, but I just, I opted not to do it, mm. but it could have gone the other way. I mean, it just depends yeah. on, and that's why I'm saying it really is such a personal thing with every single job that, that those are excellent questions. And then you just have to search in yourself and try to imagine yourself doing it and saying, yeah. you know, what I think. It's also your, your, your taste, right? Your mm-hmm. artistic taste or your, what you feel. Cause I, I've turned that, you know, a show that is supposedly, I'm doing air quotes, going to Broadway, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> they're like, Oh, this is pre broad This is the out of town tryout, whatever <laughs> yeah. you read the script and you're like, Good luck with that. Or it's yeah. just not my cup of tea, right? It's not for right. me. Um, right. And said no, you know, pass on the audition. So I, I I totally get it. And I hope that, you know, through the podcast, we've been able to empower at least a few actors into making that type of decision. I'm Be- sure you have because I listen to your podcast. I think it's mm. it's really, um, it's it's quite well done. And, and I think, as you say, very empowering and informative and Thank you. At the same time, relaxed and <laughs> relaxed and groovy. I'll, I'll try to live up to it. <laughs> oh, you already are. You already are. Um, so, <clears throat> I would love to talk about you know your college experience and your transition into you know the working as a professional. Because in addition to being a strange child, you eventually became a strange, uh, or I should say, outlier actor because you've been able to pretty much act professionally for your entire career and the majority of your you know your income has it's just been acting since you started which it's is really annoying really i apologize <laughs> <laughs> yes we're so annoyed there's somebody sitting at home like i've been working for 30 years um god bless you for saying 30 <laughs> <laughs> um i you know I, I, so we have to talk about that we can't we can't not so I guess we should at least take a moment and talk about this, this the hair situation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to call it, the yes, hair yes. situation. And he's not talking about Buffon. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I grew up in normal Illinois, which is where Illinois State is. Um, Illinois State University, Twin Cities with Bloomington, with Illinois Westland, also where they make beer nuts and bite candy, but that I digress. But the, consequently, there were two... It was a great place to grow up because it was a university town in the middle of cornfields, basically. And so you had this kind of down-home town sort of thing. But you had two universities with wonderful, uh, you know, drama and music and and literature and all these, uh, the arts were really strong with two universities and two chances to work in a university with children's theater programs, which was really wonderful. And then I went to a university high school, which had a fantastic um, program with uh, under this really a mentor, Lawrence Connolly, who we just recently lost, but I had kept in touch with over the years. Um, So Illinois State was kind of seeing me grow up, so to speak. And so I was supposed to do their first theater scholarship. 
And um, just to see what it would be like, I went up to Chicago with a friend of mine, and we stood in line with 3,500 people, because I had just graduated from high school, um, to audition for the original Chicago Company of Hair. Now, mind you, I had heard about cattle calls and, you know, wanting to experience the life. I said, oh, I I just want to go and see what it feels like to be. I'd learned the words typed out. So (laughs) I thought, I just want to see. So sophisticated. And and so I stood in line with 3,500 people, and all we did that time was get an appointment. That's all you did. You didn't audition or anything. So you had to come drive the two hours again up to Chicago. And I auditioned, and... um, and I, I couldn't believe I was called back because although politically probably I, I leaned that way, I mostly was just I didn't I didn't even I didn't drink beer, I didn't date, I hung out with my friends and, you know, debated euthanasia. I mean it was one of those one of those kids who wow. kind of, you know, was um um that was kinda of, I mean I had fun, but I wasn't like uh I, I the whole counterculture thing wasn't really exactly a part of my life, but you know I could sing I guess and so I um I was called back and I got there and <laughs> I was wearing this nice uh kind of beige crepe pantsuit and uh, I had set my hair and I thought I looked pretty good and then the lake air hit my hair and it frizzed and they were like you we want you I mean I was just like whoa so I was kind of like Bambi in, in hair you know I mean I turned into everybody's little sister because I was just like you know blink 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 what you know so that was an but it was a really terrific experience my parents fortunately said well we've it's a really good opportunity. It was at the Schubert Theater, so it's production contract, my first job. Um, and so they said, well, it's a good opportunity, and hopefully, you know, we've raised her, and she's, we have to let go and, you know, support her. So they were really terrific about that. And I know my dad took a lot of flack about me being a hair, uh, bless his heart, and he just, he just, you know. A lot firm. of flack from, like, the hometown from you know people he worked with or people he was an um advertising creative director but i um, mean he um and, and always wanted me to do commercials and i go oh no i'm a serious actress i don't do commercials <laughs> and later on it was like oh lord, oh, lord please what let was me book I a commercial <laughs> but then after a year i decided uh because i had always intended to go to college but i thought everybody i i had a friend who had gone to europe and i thought i'm going to go to Europe and backpack like everybody else who's a teenager. So (laughs) I packed up my backpack and I went there and I was there for about four months um, and um, just going around. And uh, that was a great experience. I went by myself, which was also a fascinating experience because I think sometimes innocence is its own protection Mm. because people approach you and you go, (laughs) I'm very happy for you, but I'm going to go home now and they don't know what to do with that. Uh, But um, at any rate, then my father was kind of ill and I thought about coming home and then he was better. And then um, uh, they wanted me to come back and do the show in D.C. with the Jupiter tour. And then that was canceled. So I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to go home anyway. And I went back uh, to my parents house in normal illinois and within a couple of months i was there for a couple of months long enough to apply and i think audition for carnegie mellon because i always intended to go back and have a real education and hmm. real, um, really study acting seriously 
And I did that, and then they came through my town on the national tour and said, you know, we need someone in the show. Can you leave with us? <laughs> I left my hometown with, like, I think you said it's like yeah, the circus. it's like the traveling circus, And it yeah. was. I left with the circus, and um, and then before long, I was doing Genie in the national tour. And then that was funny because I went back uh, after, I don't know, six or seven months or something, I, I was accepted at Carnegie Mellon, so I, I started there, and I did my freshman year. And at the end of that year, I don't know, it's not the same now, but at that time, they slashed your class in half the first year. Mm. It was really brutal, actually. So I had, I mean, I thought I might make it the other year, but you don't know for sure. Yeah. It was also really, really demanding. Um, and so I thought, well, let me see how I feel. So um, I called them, and I said, you know, I'm finishing up here. And they said, well... Actually, or maybe they called me, I guess, and said that my replacement as Jeannie was leaving the tour and could I do it? And I said, well, I have finals. So I said, that's okay. For a month or two, we can put in the understudy. So I actually, I know it's getting more annoying by the second, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> but I, um, so I... More improbable. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, so I, I said, okay. So I did, uh, my summer job was to play Jeannie in the National Tour of Hair. Carnegie Mellon stepped up big time, which I loved. Um, at that time, grants and scholarships were not like unicorns like they are now. Uh, you know, you had... A little um, bit easier to come by. <laughs> well, it was, at that time, 70% grants and scholarships and 30% um, student loans. Mm. That's how much it has changed yeah. in the decades since I've been in college. And now it's reversed. At least uh, at least 70% student loans and 30% grants and, and scholarships. So I was very fortunate. But I still you know, needed money. Um, and so every summer job was acting and, try, and applying what you had learned. And sometimes it was surprising what was mo- most useful. I mean, sometimes really technical classes that you were like, oh, you know, that one, two buckle my shoe stuff, but you realized your work was cleaner. So your intentions were cleaner and you're like, Oh, I guess that really is. You know, <laughs> I guess I'm learning something. I'm really learning something. So, but out of that, I was uh, hired at, in St. Louis, which is now repertory theater of St. Louis at that time was Loretto Hilton. And that was an interesting job because uh, I was in the company and I also taught in the conservatory of Webster at that time, college now university. And it was run by, it was very funny, because every morning at 9 o'clock we had this thing called dynamics, which is, you know, yoga, warm up your voice your, and, your, and your body. And, your, and, and I thought, wow, I won't, be have, I won't have to get up and be at 9 o'clock dynamics anymore. And then I started teaching at a conservatory where they had 9 o'clock stadium, <laughs> and I was teaching it every morning <laughs> at 9 o'clock. So, um, but I learned so much teaching, you know, I think I really... I think you learn more teaching in a way uh, than being a student sometimes because the things that you thought you learned, you realize you need to relearn or re-examine and people ask you questions that never occurred to you that you... and you. So I, I was teaching speech and voice. And, um, and then summer, in the summertime, I got hired to work in Kansas City. Which, now it's Kansas City Rep. Everybody's changing names in Missouri. I don't know why. It used to be Missouri Rep. <laughs> And uh, that was roll, uh, rotating rep, which is a fascinating wow. experience, man. You know, 
I actually love that stuff. I love rotating rep. It's like one of my favorite yeah. things. You almost never do it. I did it at Utah Shakespeare Festival with just two roles with uh, Havisham and uh, um, Great Expectations Musical and, and Mrs. Bennett and Pride and Prejudice. But it's um, it's just, it's fantastic to just kind of change your energy from night to night. I yeah. just think it keeps you really alive. What an awesome thing to be applying, like you said, applying what you're learning and making money doing that and then going right back into school the next year. It's just, it's so cool. Um, and then the other thing that we haven't yet touched on that I, that I really loved about, you know, what you, what you're talking about when it comes to you knowing all of these people that you were working with and either maintaining relationships with them or, um, or really, um, Focusing in on what you had, what you could learn from from them. You know, we talked about the idea of the, the the fact that there isn't a lot, either there aren't a lot of opportunities for apprenticeship uh, anymore, or um, people don't necessarily seek them out. But that the apprenticeship mentorship uh, relationship that 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 can occur with actors. Um, or artists in general, because you could, as an actor, you can obviously learn from a director or a writer or some, you know, someone mm-hmm. that you're that you're working with. But just I find, and and maybe I'm just not looking for it, but I find that those um, opportunities are not. Um, they feel they don't feel as prevalent when I talk to somebody who, you know, came up in in a a time like like yourself. I just feel. I feel like you did a really good job of creating those opportunities for yourself, having those mentors in your life, and then utilizing uh, those relationships and what you were learning from them to kind of take you from stepping stone to stepping stone, whether it was in your career or just in your craft, just in terms of getting better Mm -hmm. uh, as a performer. Um, Do you find that it has changed um and that that what i'm saying is 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 accurate or um do you think that it's more about the the mindset and 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 that people have to seek out those those relationships well, well i have i have to say that i fell into a lot of this i mean all i ever wanted to do was work um i i i have this odd memory of speaking to one of my teachers about when I was going to take the job in St. Louis, and he said, well, that's a good stepping stone. I went, stepping stone? Because in my head, it was just working. So, you know, I I think in some ways, I'm kind of lucky that I was never obsessed with being a big star, because it would be really sad if that were true, because I would have failed miserably. But I have kept working, which was my goal. And and I think that it's seeking the work and, and your craft. But yeah, I, I mean, at 16, I did apprentice, and I scrub flats and clean toilets is, you know, because that's what being an actor was all about. <laughs> and, but I learned from that. I mean, it was really great to be around a professional company. It was a summer stock company, little theater in Sullivan, Illinois. And, um, and I, I did all the jobs, jobs, you know, I props and ran lights and, and I was in some of the shows and then I wasn't allowed to be in sweet charity cause they thought I was too young to be in that show. Uh, but, um, Things like that, I, I don't see a lot of. There may they may be out there. I'm not as aware, so it may just be that I'm not as aware of apprenticeships like that. But I know 
Um, I mean, there I don't there seem certain... to be as many summer stock theaters as there used to be. Yeah, well, there, and there are certain theaters that I and theater companies that I know, like the Actors Gang here in LA, is a good mm-hmm. a good example because Tim Robbins has kind of set it up in that way. And Antaeus has a, has a young company. Yeah, right? true, yeah. true, true. So, so there there are there are individual companies, I guess. Um... Uh, actually, Utah <clears throat> Shakespeare Festival has. Well, they go usually to the top uh, acting uh, BFA programs um, and and hire some of their young actors out of those graduate programs to often play leads. I mean, uh, wow. uh, they get really can assemble terrific resumes from Utah Shakespeare Festival because the young people are primarily hired. Uh, it's financially wise for them because they can... They have a um, certain ratio of equity to non-equity, and they can bring in a Porsche who's terrific, who's not on a union contract, which, you know, is a double-edged sword right. in a way. Right. But, yeah. but it's it's great for someone who's clearly going to make a, a living of it, you know. Yeah. And, and, but I, I think it's more than that. Um, I think, speaking of double-edged swords, I think the great um, self-empowering drive that I that I've observed because you know I'm an older person, so I'm not living in it. But um, of well, I sort of am because you have to do a lot more, no matter what age you are, to promote yourself. Then, I mean, it, it, I'm supposed to be getting a huge Twitter followings. So I, I I recognize that. I, I again, I failed miserably, but. Um, <laughs> But this whole you can you can promote yourself, you can learn yourself, you can do so much for yourself is a wonderful thing, and that always was true. I mean, I would would keep those as you say those contacts up and write letters and keep in touch. We used to write letters, um, uh, but I would keep in touch and send out pictures, like actual pictures that you'd hold in your hand, which we used to also do back in the old days. Um, but so it was always the business was always there, and and it was it was smart to keep on top of that. But it was kind of surprising to me when I, when I first came, for example, to Los Angeles. Uh, one of the earliest uh, television things I did there was an actor by the name of Parley Bear, who had a huge history. He was like one of the mayors in uh, in the Andy Griffith Show, and he was the voice of the Keepler Elf, and he was like, if you saw him, you'd know he was on the Lucy Show, I mean, uh, on I Love Lucy, I mean, he was an older guy by then, and, but he had so much experience, and I would, anytime, whether I was in theater, or on a set, try to find, like, the most experienced person, and try to learn from them, because I thought, that's going to be stuff that you only know when you've been there, and so I would just hang out, I mean, I don't think I was, um, I, I wouldn't really bug him about what about this. We just get, I just engage in conversation and become friendly. Um, and I learned so much that way. Um, uh, same thing when I was doing a Broadway show that um, Robert Fitch, who was the original Rooster Hannigan and Annie and had done Broadway show after Broadway show, he and I became good friends. And, you know, you learn that way. I mean, uh, it's, it's, that's a fun easy and really great way to learn. And what I kind of noticed, uh, I remember one show I was doing a few years ago, and you get to know people on your coffee breaks, you know, or your breaks, if you, whether or not you drink coffee. And we were breaking from doing, uh, from in a rehearsal, and 
I hung out with all the people roughly in my age and everyone who was younger went in a corner with their iPhone. And I thought, oh, I was a little disappointed because that's when you really get to know the person. Mm-hmm. And I realized you do have to check on that stuff. But they spent the entire time, by and large, on their iPhones. Now, I've since worked with with younger people who don't do that. But I, I would suggest that once you've checked what you absolutely have to check on a break, put it away and engage with your fellow actors. Because I think it will um, improve not only the working community, but the work as well. I think it will inform your work. I think you'll become uh, easier with each other and more open to each other. And I think you might learn something from each other. I did. I worked with some um, young performers a couple of years ago, and at the, you know, we we did a run. I did a couple of shows there, but it was a, a musical again, um, and. Uh, but I noticed that they never, there were two of us, two of us, of women of a certain age, uh, who had worked, you know, all of our lives. And I noticed that they didn't really ask us any questions. And they were still in school, you know. Um, and I, I found it odd. Uh, they kind of didn't seem to want to engage particularly mm-hmm. in conversation. And at the end, I got very lovely notes from virtually all of them saying, I've learned so much from you, which I suppose meant in rehearsal on stage, which was nice to hear. But I thought, but you didn't ask. I could, not that I know that much, but I, I have lived it for a long time. <laughs> and, and it just seemed like a missed opportunity to me. And certainly when I, you don't have to be even young to do, I mean, I'll, I do the same learning from, from young actors, you know, or young whatever, writers or, or, just people in general, no matter what age they are, I think if you engage with them, you're going to learn from them, even in your day-to-day dealings with people. So I think the danger is to become so involved in what has become a tremendous tool, which is technology, that that you use that. It's kind of like when I got out of college and I had learned all these techniques, and at first I felt like they were using me. You know, I had great speech and voice and movement, but where is Ellen Crawford in all of that? Mm. And then you learn to use those tools for yourself instead of the tools using you or being some sort of, you know, uh, something hung on you. Uh, uh, And so uh, I think that would be what I would say. I think that becomes a danger because it's so seductive, isn't it? I mean, you sit somewhere and you have instant entertainment, you know, going through getting rid of all the emails you don't want and, 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 you know, watching stuff. I mean, I do it myself, but I tried to always remind myself to try to choose those times when I couldn't be learning something from someone. Mm. And that doesn't mean just actors. Yeah. You know, what's going on around you. That's observation, I think, for an actor is so important. And I think if you spend all your time looking down all the time, you're going to miss a lot. All right, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed AJ's uh, chat with Ellen Crawford. The first part, and there's a part two coming next week, yeah? Yes, sir. Yeah, we've got a part two coming next week where we definitely, so this one was, you know, a lot more about, like, like I said, her charmed, you know, acting life, uh, 
you know, the way it all it began. She, I mean, you know, and, and we make that joke about her getting taken away by the circus. Like she's just gone from one job to the next and uh, next next week is is we dive deeper into um you know the work and uh, you know some of uh, her, her i guess more prof- like career advice if that makes sense fantastic what is your pick of the week my pick of the week is a podcast it's kind of challenging to explain but basically it is a podcast that is completely improvised I knew this was going to be tough to explain. So the host of the podcast, who goes by his actual name, is claiming to be hosting this podcast from another world, like a fantasy sort of like Dungeons and Dragons type world. He, you know, fell through like a rift behind a Burger King and ended up in this magical place uh, where he's interviewing a like a wizard and or he his co-hosts are like a wizard and a badger or something and they bring quote unquote guests onto his podcast that he publishes weekly because he thinks he's still you know drafting Wi-Fi off of the Burger King um, but the entire episode every episode is just improv. You know, there's so many actors out there who are looking for ways of exploring their art or their craft, and they want to be able to do something. And these guys just, you know, they were like, we love improv, and, you know, we want to make something. And they did. And it, I, I just love the idea of, of these guys sort of um, creating their own work and having fun with it. And it's hilarious, by the way, like you will have a good time listening to it. It's really, really funny. That's, that's crazy. Now, do you have to be high when you're listening to it? Or is this, (laughs) uh, you could be, you could be, uh, I wasn't, but, uh, I'm sure it would make it, uh, even fun. (laughs) That's Uh, like extra credit. I feel bad for these guys and for our listeners that I did such a terrible job. Like, explaining it but if you go and listen to it you'll you'll understand what All i'm right. talking so that anyway, is hello so, from the magic tavern.com yeah and you can just search for hello from the magic tavern on uh, itunes okay awesome <clears throat> they're one of the most popular podcasts on itunes right now they've they've grown this this following all right um, sweet so yeah anyway uh please come 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 at us with something that's easier to explain <laughs> Right. So my pick of the week is is, is an app uh, designed to break your addiction to your smartphone. It's called Forest. I really dig it. The idea is that uh, you open this app, you have a a different uh, selection of trees you can pick from. You plant a tree. You you basically say how long you want to not use your phone for. You plant a tree. uh, And then the timer starts going. So let's say I wanted to not use my phone for an hour. I plant a tree and then um, I can't leave that app for an hour. And if I do leave that app, the tree dies. Oh, God. If, if I do not leave that app, then it grows and I can start growing this little forest. So the more that I do this throughout the day, the more of a forest I grow. And you can like rack up, you know, coins and things like that to unlock new trees. And at a certain point in the app, they will actually start donating money or trees or something to these different sort of initiatives around the world designed to reforest um, like actual physical you know places on the planet so it's it's a really pretty cool app I've used it a lot to just sort of stay focused and um, not be checking my phone compulsively while I'm waiting for you know something 
<clears throat> like a you know a walk signal or something across the street. So I really I found it extremely valuable. It's called Forest. It's like a dollar I think on the App Store for iOS. It's there's probably an Android version too. So check it out. Wow, an app. That's so ironic. An app to get you to stop using your yeah. It, it's your and phone. I found I found it extremely effective. It, it's a, it's pretty addicting. <clears throat> Once you plant a tree for the day, you just want to keep growing that forest, and you don't want to kill the tree. I mean, you don't want to be a bad person, right? <laughs> Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, guilt is how this, uh, this app operates. It yeah. runs on, it runs on guilt. Yeah. Great follow up to, uh, what, uh, what Ellen uh, talks about in her interview too. So we're tight on time. So we're actually going to skip over this listener pick of the week, uh, which is something I'm really excited to talk about, uh, next time. This comes from Ryan Quinn. So Ryan, thank you for the listener pick. I can't wait to check this out and, um, and talk about it next episode. But uh, just to recap, that's Hello from the Magic Tavern, a trippy podcast, and uh, Forest, a great app to help you break your smartphone addiction. And that does it for episode 220. Uh, today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadala Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And uh, we're looking for our next director of public relations. So if you have any experience in this area, if you're listening to this and you are really good with social media and or newsletters and sort of interacting with uh, audiences and customer bases online and stuff like that, or you just want to learn more about uh, what we're looking for and you'd like to join the IAP team, send us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes and all of our episodes, period, at our website, insideacting.net. You can also find us on iTunes, and your reviews there are hugely appreciated. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com, and big thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of this here podcast, sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, the IAP book club, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, and more. Just to visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab. And that's it for episode 220 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, grow your forest. 